We are back in off the weekend as we have concluded January already with all the fights, the uh, results, and now in our case, a recap podcast on the Fight Freaks Unite recap. I am merely TJ Reeves. He's our insider, our content partner from Fight Freaks Unite, the Substack, BigFightWeekend.com, and our podcast feed. Hello to Dan Rayfield off a weekend that has seen Artur Beterbiev continue his knockout streak as a world light heavyweight champion that has seen Alexis Rocha score a thunderous KO for whatever it's worth in his main event for Golden Boy Promotions. Could it mean that he's perhaps in a conversation for a title shot himself down the road? We're ready to examine all of this. My friend, how are you feeling off the weekend as uh, as we get ready for another week? We get ready for February that's about to be here. We are ready. Uh, look, it was a pretty good weekend, all things considered. We got our first legit fight of the year candidate with the better BF uh, Anthony Yard fight, which we'll talk about. So it's a uh, it's a good uh, it's a good recap. Yeah, we have a lot to go over from that. Uh, and again, uh, it could, will it result in undisputed possibly? for uh, a title fight with Better Bev and his fellow Russian, Dmitry Bivol. So we'll get into all of that. A reminder, however you found us, uh, there's a couple of things. First of all, thank you. Social media link, Dad Sub- Dan Substack, uh, BigFightWeekend.com link, whatever. However you found us, thank you. Make sure you're following and subscribing because we do this in a routine and it's really begun to latch on and grow with the audience. We're here in the preview mode on Fridays, overnight, Thursday into Friday, recap mode Sunday night into Monday on everything that goes on. And uh, Dan, they want to be following and subscribing for a myriad of reasons, because not just it's you and me, but we have other interviews, other content that they don't need to otherwise be prompted to find if they're already subscribing. How do they get notified, by the way? Some get annoyed by this. I enjoy it. How do they get notified, by the way? Well, I mean, if you're listening, you know, but if you're new, you get a ding, you get a banner, you get a bell, you get a buzz. You get a vibration. All of I that. Got six things. Is there any? Is there a seventh method? I don't the think there is. I think, I think that's there's it. there's no Morse code. There's no skywriting by you and me with an airplane with the smoke. We don't do no any carrier of that. pigeon or anything like no that. No carrier pigeon like in the old days to come with a message from the king or, or no stagecoach. Uh, uh-huh, no Pony Express not needed. Okay. You get you get notified. We're out. We're new, and we might have something new with an interview, something midweek. You you will get that automatic notification and. The other cool thing that you that uh, some of you have been participating in, we've had numerous ones of you over the last week or so now that have rated and reviewed us. Continue to do that. The finish line is about to be here, Dan Raphael. I said anybody up until the end of January, and as we release this on Monday, it's the 30th, so we'll still count for today, for Monday, still count for Tuesday. If you rate us and review us in January, we're bribing you. We are unabashedly saying we're bribing you to rate us and review us. And Rayfield's got a cool gift. Uh, illuminate that again for those that do not know. If they rate us and review us and we draw somebody at random, they're going to win what? They're going to get a couple of, or I'll find a nice little group of what uh, are the souvenir Takate cups that were part of uh, the sponsorship that Takate had for many years for so many of the major fights I covered. I've got tons of them. I'm going to go and I'm going to pick out a couple of cool ones. And uh, the winner uh, will draw at random of those folks that leave the review. We'll get those cups and uh, they will be on their way to the winner. The same way the key cards from the fights were on their way, mm-hmm. like the Cambosis Haney site poser from Australia from their first fight was on the way, the way the uh, Evander Holyfield Mike Tyson baseball hat was on the way. So, you know, nothing like earth shattering, but just cool stuff Still. if you're into the boxing mementos and uh, interesting yes. things. And, and he's parting with a couple of things out of the Rayfield collection. And again, uh, Triple G fights, uh, Canelo fights, Manny Pacquiao fights. These are the commemorative cups that essentially have like a fight. I can't, I can't promise those them. three individuals. Yeah, but we'll find a, a nice group of them. So don't all right, worry. It'll be cool. All right. So you're going to get that. And again, one other key, make sure that you take a screenshot, tag Dan, tag Big Fight Weekend so we can see it. I jokingly keep saying that if you don't do that, if you don't send the screenshot where I can find you, where we can find you, I, I can't find you through Apple Podcasts when you're doing the rating and reviewing when you're like Big Thunder 23 or whatever, or ha- <laughs> Happy Happy Dude 7. I can't find you that way. So send us the screenshot that you rated us and reviewed us. We're going to draw someone at random after Tuesday. Anybody that's rated us and reviewed us throughout January that sent us the screenshot where I can find you, somebody gets the cups. 
There we go. All right, let's get into it. This is what we do on the recap. We recap what went on. Again, the three unified light heavyweight titles uh, were on the line, WBC, WBO, and IBF championships. Arthur Betterbeev did get the knockout. So let's talk about the fight first, and then I'm going to put the whole situation on blast that led up to the fight. But the fight deserves to be talked about first. I thought tremendous action. I I thought Anthony Yard deserves a lot of credit because he took some big punches and kept firing back, and he even hurt better Biev in the fifth round briefly, I thought. Got him to back up, got him to stop punching, had him in trouble. In the end, the Russian-born, now Canadian living in Quebec, Better BF gets a ninth straight win by knockout in a world title fight. All right, Dan, there are a couple of my thoughts, your thoughts watching it as he wins again, Better BF this time in London. Well, it was his eighth knockout in a world title fight, but that doesn't matter because the bottom line is he's 19 and 0 in his professional career, all by knockout. He's the only fighter in the sport that has a perfect record and has won all of his bouts by knockout. Uh, so he maintains that. He is one of the most uh, devastating punchers in the sport. He can do it with uh, both hands. He can do it coming forward. He seems like he can do it going backward. He's just a wrecking machine. But he was in a tough fight. Look, he's 38 now. Uh, I think the age is starting to show a little bit, but he's still a very, very merciless puncher. Uh, Like you said, Anthony Yard put up a very good fight. No disrespect to him. I thought he showed a big heart. He did very well. He uh, was competitive. It was in some ways similar to what occurred in his most recent fight before that where he fought for a world title uh, against... Sergey Kovalev in uh, 2019, where he was very competitive. He hung in there. He dished out some some tremendous punches of his own. But in the end, uh, the punch resistance, the stamina, maybe the experience, um, it just all collapsed on him because he just couldn't hang with the bigger puncher. And that's pretty much what happened. You know, he lost to the one big Russian knockout artist in the last title fight. He did it to another one in this particular fight. But he should be commended because he put on a, a you know, he helped make this into a you know, uh, you know, look, we're in January, but a fight of the year candidate, if you will, who knows if it, you know, it's not going to stand up as the winner uh, by the end of the year, but it might be in the conversation for those other top fights, but it was a highly entertaining battle. Uh, better be have, uh, uh, did what he always does. And, and I'm glad he did what he does because he has won all of his fights by knockout. And if you take a look at the official scorecards of that fight at the time of the knockout, absurdly, Anthony Yard was actually head on two scorecards, which is absolutely preposterous in my opinion. (laughs) And so in the immortal words of Lennox Lewis, the great former heavyweight champion who used to love to say this, he may not be the only one, but I remember him saying this. I'm bringing my own two judges. He hold up his right hand and hold up his left hand. That's right. Those are his two judges. So there you go. Anthony uh, Anthony Yard uh, was leading on those two, two of the three scorecards, but fortunately for better be of being on uh, Anthony Yards in his hometown of London, he had his own two judges, and that's what he needed. It was a, a tremendous knockdown in the uh, in the final round, in the eighth round when he got him. Um, you know, Yard showed a lot of heart to get up. I thought they could have stopped the fight. He didn't look together when uh, Steve Gray, the ref, uh, called him back together. Better be have landed a couple of more punches, and I, I have to tip my hat uh, to the corner of Anthony Yard for, for stopping that fight because, I mean, he, he would only been down the one time, but it had been a very hard-hitting, punishing fight. He was cut. He was bleeding. Uh, that fight was not going to end any other way other than his man, uh, the, the their their man, the the Anthony Yard team with with Anthony Yard laying on the canvas unconscious because that you could just see that coming the way that that first knockdown happened with a big right hand that hurt him, a huge overhand that just sort of hammered him into the canvas, and uh, it was not going to end any other way. There was still time left in the round. <clears throat> he was you know there was like a minute left in the round. He was not surviving at that point. Better Biev is one of the most, not only one of the most devastating punchers, TJ, but a phenomenal finisher. He has you yes. uh, in, in ready to go. He's going to finish you off, and that's what he did. And look, he's the champ. He's undefeated. He's got the great background as an Olympian, twice for Russia. He's been knocking everybody out, doing so impressively. He's done it early. He's done it late. In this case, he did it, you know, sort of the middle of the fight, hit the over for uh, those who were betting at five and a half. I noticed, and, how, uh, you, I noticed how you slid that in there. You had the I over. Slid it in. I had the and, under. I got the I, I told you so text, as we always come to expect. Of it was a hell of a happen. fight. That's the main but thing. But I, I really thought, let's pick up on that point. I thought he had Yard in trouble a little bit in the fourth round. He had him in a corner. He was popping with the uppercuts. I thought he had him in trouble, and I thought, here we go. He's either going to get him out here or in the fifth round. I give Yard we're, – we're not just – I'm not on the payroll here for Queensbury or for Yard, but you look at the Joe Smith fight. 
He destroyed Joe Smith, and maybe it would have been over in the first round. Smith survived the first round. He definitely didn't get out of the second round in the first minute. Yard took 30 or 40 big-time punches and kept in the fight. And I thought, what did you think? I thought he hurt him with that uppercut yeah. in the fifth round. He backed him up. It better be up, wasn't coming forward, wasn't firing back. I'm like, he's hurt. Well, listen, it's a fight. I mean, the other guy is allowed to land punches also, and there's no doubt about it. I mean, better be have for for as devastating of an offensive performer as he is. He gets hit. Uh, you know, he he's he's been cut now a few times. Marcus Brown caught him a couple of fights ago. Um, it was a bad cut. I think that, that was probably from a headbutt. But the point is, the skin is tender. I mean, Mark uh, better be have should. Uh, you know, he should give a bonus to my man, Russ Amber, who's his cut man, who's one of the best in the business, did a tremendous job of, of keeping the cut closed. Uh, they both got cut in the sixth round. Uh, Anthony underneath his one eye, better be on the eyelid on the left eye. Uh, and it was kind of a mess. So it was a bloody battle. And look, uh, Anthony Yard may have been the underdog, deservedly so, but you can't take anything away from him. He, he put on a great fight. And he just happened to be in a situation where the first time he fought for a title, was in Russia, a whole new experience for him. It was very inexperienced still at that point uh, in terms of his pro career. Uh, didn't have the greatest training camp. Took that fight on kind of short notice. A lot of things involved. I'm not saying he was going to beat Kovalev, but, you know, it's a, certainly a forgivable situation. And on, on Saturday, he was just in with a better fighter. I mean, nobody's going to dispute the fact that Better Biev is one of the top pound-for-pound fighters in boxing. I don't know where you want to put him on the list, but he's there. Uh, you know, he's got the track record. If you go and destroy a Joe Smith... You, you go and you destroy a Marcus Brown, an Alexander Vodzik, you know, a jo- uh, then you come in to fight on the other guy's home turf uh, in London and you uh, put a number on him also. He's a very experienced championship level elite fighter. And uh, he got the job done. And look, I hope I hope Yard can take a rest, uh, dust himself off, uh, bring him, you know, that Frank Warren and, and their team can get together and bring him back. I don't think his career is over. He's still he's only in his early 30s, but he's got such a. Um, a, a level of experience that's not at the level of a better BF in terms of, you know, he's only got the 18 fights better BF, but he's got that massive amateur career, which you cannot uh, uh, ignore whatsoever. So I do think that Yard uh, has a chance maybe to still come again and, and uh, have another uh, chance to fight for these, for one of these titles. But in the meantime, better BF is the man in the weight class. And look, we all know what's, uh, what's, what's out there, what we all want to see. We want to see him be undisputed or not that he wins, but we want to see the undisputed fight between him and also, the undefeated, uh, his fellow Russian countryman, Dmitry Bivol, a a, uh, a big-time fight, if it can happen. Let's hope that it can happen. Let's hope they don't stay in the way of it. Better be I'm doubtful, as always. Ever. You know me. I know. Uh, okay. So that being said, uh, usually you come in here at times crotchety and put people on blast. I was I was texting you. Uh, I'm going to say it. The, the ESPN Plus coverage and what was being offered from Queensbury and BT Sport was garbage prior to that fight. It was absolute garbage to try to build up to that main event. I did not see the flyweight title fight because by the time I got back with what I was doing with the twins, that had already happened. And you warned me that that one was happening earlier. And then they were going to have these other fights on, on the ESPN Plus broadcast prior to uh, better be of and yard Rayfield. One of the guys they put in the ring on a televised fight card had 96 losses or 97 losses. That's not an exaggeration. What is that guy doing on TV? That is garbage. They put another fight on with the guy making his pro debut and the other guy looked scared to death, whoever that was. And the first two punches in the first 20 seconds that he got hit with, with his guard up, he went down, stumbled around and it's over. That hit the was trash. It was right. trash. Let's last go through night. this. A little yes, bit. in London, that you deserved. You deserved better. And then, just one more addendum: you had to wait almost forty-five minutes for the main event to then start after the thirty-second two-punch thing. That uh, you got to do better than that. You got to do better than that if you're going to attract anything other than hardcores or degenerate gambling boxing fans. You got to do better than that, Raphael. Go ahead. So on the flyweight title fight, that was Artem Delakian from Ukraine defending the WBA flyweight title against a undefeated fighter from Costa Rica named David Jimenez. I thought it actually might have some high hopes on, on, on paper. Like it looked like a decent matchup. It was a mandatory fight. Jimenez wasn't very experienced, but he was coming over. Uh, but he had scored a victory, uh, you know, in an eliminator. Delakian is coming off a layoff, been off about 14 months, largely because of the 
the, the war in his home country where he was not able to get a fight. In any event, uh, it turned out to be garbage. Terrible, terrible, horrible fight. Unwatchable kind of fight. Uh, and honestly, it looked like Jimenez should have got the nod and they gave it to Delakian by a unanimous decision. So, so I, I was just, from start to finish, the fight and the decision, I just wish I could erase Okay, it so I, I came in and I had not seen the fight and I immediately texted you because Andre Ward and Timothy Bradley, who had called the fight, and again, they're remote. There's about as remote as you can be from London. They're sitting in Las Vegas at the ESPN studio uh, in Las Vegas that they have at, at, at one of the, the sports books. Uh, that's there where they do the Daily Wager show and their other programming right on the strip, right by Caesars Palace. So they're sitting in a studio remotely, but they're making these comments. And I texted you about robbery. Here we go again. What is this? Jimenez was the aggressor. How did he not win the fight? And then I'm automatically suspicious because of the WBA. Uh, so that's the point that I came in. It, uh, did I mean, just on the, the Rayfield that... card, did Jimenez win the fight on the Rayfield card? For that one, I, I mean, being honest, I didn't score the fight round by round, so I, right. I, I I can't really tell you. But I've watched enough fights to know that that you can certainly make the argument that Jimenez should have been the winner. Delakian, it wasn't even a matter that Jimenez was more aggressive. He Delakian just didn't land any punches. I mean, very few punches, very few punches. He was he was a little more active maybe in certain spots, but he certainly was not outlanding Jimenez. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. You could throw a hundred punches, but if you don't land any, it doesn't matter. If you throw six punches and land four of them. You've now landed more punches than the guy that was more right. active. And people sort of forget that the activity level doesn't really matter. Where the activity level matters is when all things are equal and one guy's active and coming forward and throwing punches, the other guy's not. So if it's if you're just measuring that, yeah, it counts if you're more active, but it really is about punches landed. And Jimenez landed more punches in my estimation and 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 probably should have gotten uh the, the nod that night. But it was such a shit fight, I couldn't even muster up I got too much aggravation about it. Because right. neither one of the Please cut to job. the chase. What is a okay. fighter doing on the televised card that's lost 96 times? That is just garbage. Garbage. Yes. The guy you're talking about is a fighter named Daryl Sharp. He is a, a, a professional loser in the UK. That and, and by the way, he wouldn't be licensed in the United States. They just wouldn't license a guy with right. that kind of record. There's a lot of fighters, uh, relatively speaking, that fight in the UK that have these bizarrely upside down records, you know, 14 and 73 and, you know, 19 and like 84. I mean, just wacky records like that. They take fights on short notice. They're there to theoretically, quote unquote, help a younger fighter learn. I don't believe that. I think you can get more out of fighting a real guy in a gym, you know, sparring with a guy or even fighting somebody at a similar level as you in the pros. And if you lose, you lose. I mean, there's no guarantee. It's called prize fighting. But Daryl Sharp going into this fight with seven wins. 96 losses and one draw. Now, to his credit, he'd only been stopped three times in 97 losses with one knockout win. Now, the reason for that probably is because, A, he knows how to defend himself. That's about the only thing he knows how to do. I do not buy the fact that he's giving this prospect, a uh, you know, in this case, Tommy Fletcher, a 3-0 fighter going in, that he's teaching him something. That's nonsense. Tommy Fletcher is going to get more uh, learning and more understanding of how this sport works in terms of his professional career if he's got the right sparring or if god forbid they put him in with somebody that might actually throw back because a guy that's that's like daryl sharp he's not there to win he knows he can't win he's there to survive he's there to not get knocked the fuck out he's there to go with the four rounds so you can absorb 97 losses because virtually every fucking fight he has is four or six rounds scheduled. He's not fighting 10 rounders or, or eight or 12. But or again, like to that. my point, I got you. What is this doing a couple of fights before the main event? I mean, I, I, if they were uh, trying to highlight this supposed prospect okay. in Tommy but, Fletcher, which which now now in there, I'm not going to defend them. But this is the reason had the other fights gone uh, longer that probably would have taken place after the main event okay. as a walkout fight. But so there's they an explanation. That's a, that's a little more acceptable explanation. No, it's not acceptable, TJ. Well, because it was why still... it was on the televised part. But go ahead, right. go ahead. Look, if they want to make those kinds of fights, I mean, I guess whatever. I think it's fucked up no matter what. Undercard, off TV, on TV, whatever. You shouldn't have, when a guy has that many losses and has no chance to win, this is, a, mm -hmm. this is not scripted like wrestling. They may be great athletes in wrestling, but the outcome is predetermined. In a fight like this, this is about as predetermined as you can get without actually predetermining the result. So I don't think that Tommy Fletcher learns anything in a fight like this. 
In fact, it reflects badly on him because we're talking about what a horrible opponent he fought. And for Daryl Sharp, God bless him, he's making a few dollars and all that, and he's surviving and not getting knocked out. But the decision should not be in his hands. It's in the hands of the regulators and the promoter. And to keep using guys like that sheds a light on the fact that in the UK in particular, there are a handful of these types of fighters that are on call and will come out you know, on a, on a minute's notice and jump in the ring for four or six rounds, not get hurt but provide zero entertainment value. I got you. And, 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 and no competition. And it's an absolute waste of everybody's time. And that pissed me off that you have such an awesome main event as it turned out to be, and on paper, a very good main event. And that's what we're subjected to uh, in the, in the, and then the fight that. immediately before that was the pro debut of the one fighter. His brother earlier had gotten surprisingly knocked out in a light heavyweight bout. Yeah, this Moses guy's making his pro, pro debut and it's a two punch ridiculous Again, get me a better caliber fight. Listen, Marcel, else... Marcel Bodie, who was the opponent for Moses Itama, who went down in 23 seconds. Mm -hmm. To me, if I was in charge of the British board, I'd withhold his purse because that was not a real knockout. He hit him on no. the gloves. And yes. He basically quit. And he fell over. Okay. But to me, I'm going next level here. If I'm top rank, who's in partnership with Queensberry, don't even show that stuff. I mean, work this out where if you're not going to give us a better fight, we will come on when it's time for the main event. Because remember, this is not, it was not on ESPN Network TV. They were running college basketball galore on Saturday in the United States. And Bernardo Osuna and Tim Bradley and, and Andre Ward could have come on whenever it's time for the main event, like the old days of HBO. Let's have the 15-minute buildup and have the main event and have a fight. You and I are old enough to remember that back well, in the 80s. To listen, do that. I, don't, I don't have a problem with them showing undercard fights. I want them to show undercard <laughs> fights. But I think that the promoter owes it to the customer, whether you're buying a ticket or you're watching and spending your time watching a, a stream, you deserve better. Boxing fans deserve better. We're like... We're like hostage victims. We have like, we have, what is that? The, uh, is, we have like the syndrome, like, what do they call that? The, uh, uh, the Stockholm syndrome, Stockholm syndrome, but it's like, mistaken in, in Die Hard where, uh, the Harvey, the news anchor goes Helsinki syndrome as in Helsinki, Sweden. No, that's the inside joke. It's the Stockholm syndrome. And by that, it, what it means is the hostage eventually is captive so long the hostage begins to agree and like and and think like the hostage takers exactly. and agree with their point of view. We are so used to being as fans. <laughs> are we still we're so used to being we're so used to being abused and served fucking shit so often that if we get a good fight, we're like, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for a good fight. Well, go, go screw yourself. You're supposed oh. to get good fights. All That's right. how the sport survives. And putting, and I don't care what anybody says, a couple things. Putting on a guy on a major broadcast right before the main event with 97 losses is unacceptable, number one. And number two, don't call Daryl Sharp. And I, I'm nothing against Daryl Sharp. He's probably a nice guy. Don't call him a journeyman. A journeyman is a guy that is... A, a true pro that has experience and win some can lose some. And I'm going to give you an example. And I do not mean this as a negative thing. I do not mean this as an insult. Take for example, a fighter like a Gabe Rosado. And I have okay. nothing against Gabe Rosado, a good guy, mm -hmm. smart guy, had some great fights, has fought for a world title. He's pulled some upsets, but if you put him in with the top guy, he's probably going to lose, but he's going to give you an effort. He's going to make that dude work for his win. That's a journeyman, a guy that's maybe, you know, got a bunch of losses, but every now and again, he's going to pull the upset. He comes prepared. He's not taking fights on three days notice. That's a journeyman. A guy with 97 losses and seven wins is not a journeyman. That is a guy who's a professional loser from the, from the professional standpoint, not as a human being. I mean this strictly in the boxing sense. So to call him a journeyman is an insult to actual journeyman. All right. So you got the blast on top of my blast about that in that fight card. Do better boxing promoters. I, I agree. I agree. All right, so let's move on. Uh, the Golden Boy Boxing uh, fight card in Inglewood, California, YouTube Theater, great atmosphere, and that was a better card all the way around, including Floyd Schofield, who dominated in the co-feature uh, before Alexis Rocha's knockout. That was a better, more entertaining card. By the way, the one more addendum well, again is that we had to wait almost 45 minutes from well, the little phantom something. knockdown before the main event of Better Be Evan Yard. But anyway, go ahead. Before we get to Rocha, though, we, we forgot. I, I hear you about the delay. In this particular case, it was I understood it because they spent a good portion of that time between that end of that bogus knockout 
before the main event, having Jake Paul and Tommy Fury come right. into the ring to announce in front of the crowd and on the stream that they would be fighting February 26th in Saudi Arabia. They had announced it uh, to the to the press and on social media and to the media at large uh, the previous day uh, in their press releases. But this was an opportunity to get a photo op to have them do a come in, you know, do an interview on the broadcast, have a, a, a stare down, um, say some nasty things about each other. And, and to be honest, as I tweeted about it at that moment, uh, their confrontation, WWE style, was more entertaining than the entirety of the rest of the undercard. That Amen. Was so so, but I don't have, I didn't have a problem they, with, I didn't they, have a problem but, with that being, TJ, right. I didn't have a problem with that being taking place and having a I got you, but the, they, they went like another 20 or 25 minutes before they put the main event in the ring after that. And it's like, what are we waiting on? But yes, so at and least we have confirmation. Enough. We have confirmation. I understand sometimes when they wait, it's because of a pay-per-view reasons. This was not pay-per-view. This was normal ESPN Plus in America and a regular BT Sport in the UK, not a BT Sports, uh, not a box office, meaning a pay-per-view over there. So, you know, at least we got some entertainment value out of Tommy Fury and and, uh, and Jake Paul bit. doing their thing. All but, right. So, uh, so but I, also, I, also, I got to take issue with one thing. The, the Golden Boy card is entertaining, but I have to say, I'd rather take the horrible undercard and get a fantastic main event than just get a good, nice card overall. Because at the end of the day, the most important thing is the main event. And even though the, the Zone Golden Boy show was a good, uh, turned out to be a fun fight, you, you can't beat a high-level, super significant fight like better be up against Anthony. Oh, no, I'm not saying that the uh, the main event was any way, shape, or form that. I'm just saying it flowed better. It had a good atmosphere in the arena, and they, and they got that on. By the way, just to back up one more step again, we still have a month for Tommy Fury to back out on Jake Paul for the hat trick for the third time and not fight him again. And this time, the joke will be on top rank and Queensberry if that is uh, what's going to happen. Okay, so let's get to that card in the recap mode here. Fight Freaks Unite recap. Um, let's start at the top. Alexis Rocha gets the win. We talked in the preview mode that Georgia she uh, from Ghana had basically only fought one time outside of, of Ghana. Coming all the way to California to fight. Here we go again. Journeyman may be the right term. A guy that's expected to get beat. And boy, did did Rocha eventually deliver the knockout. Now, it took a little while. And she got up from a knockdown earlier in the fight. He didn't fall over like the dude in the, in the prelim in London fell over from the two punches to the gloves in 30 seconds. Um, 23 seconds. 23 seconds, thank you. Uh, didn't even hit the shot clock uh, uh, in the NBA. Uh, but here, at least she got up and, and tried, and Rocha eventually eradicated him with a big right hand. All right, give me thoughts on that and the whole card uh, from Golden Boy. Go. Well, in terms of uh, she, uh, more so than just uh, taking the fight on, you know, basically a week's notice, if that, and coming uh, overseas for the fight, uh, was the fact that he was really fighting as a welterweight for the first time. He had had like a couple of fights. Uh, two fights early, he was like 144 pounds, you know, and then he fought a few fights at 140. But for the most part of his whole career, that stems all the way back to like 2003, I guess, you know, he's been fighting uh, in the 130 pounds. He's basically a lightweight for his career. But, he, you know, like every other fighter I've ever seen from Ghana, he was tough. He, you know, he came to fight. He put in the, all you can ask for is the, to put in the effort, like the heavyweight that we talked about that got knocked out in 23 seconds showed no effort. Say whatever you want about George Rashi, not the great record, not a well-known fighter, coming overseas, taking a fight on short notice, moving up in weight, all that, fine. But he had it, he put on a credible fight, he showed effort, he showed heart. And that's all you can really ask for. Just give your best. And I felt like even though he was dominated and lost the fight by a knockout, he gave his best effort. And I and I tip my hat to that. Uh Alexis Rocha uh wanted to fight. Remember, Golden Boy was supposed to do a Ryan Garcia fight on this date. Right. He decided not to take the interim bout while he tries to get this, the uh, contracts uh, all set and settled before the fight between him and Tank Davis in April. <clears throat> and so uh, Rocha and Golden Boy and zone decided, let's go forward with this event. And uh, Rocha makes fun fights. He's got a little bit of a fan following, so he brought a lot of fans out there. Um, everybody else on the card got to uh, get in the ring and, and, and get their work in. Uh, as fans, we got sell ourselves what turned out to be a pretty entertaining card. And that's all you can really ask for. It was not a championship level event, but what are you going to do? I, I mean, it was a, it was a, if you watched the show, you came away with it. Like I got my, not my money's worth, but my time's worth. All right. So interesting that Terrence Crawford was there for what it's <coughs> worth. Rocha mentioned his name afterwards. Rocha is ranked third by the WBO for Crawford's uh, belt. Obviously Virgil Ortiz is also in the mix, but Ortiz is not fighting for another two or three months. He's already slated to fight Stanionis in the delayed fight because Stanionis had an appendectomy and hasn't been able to fight quicker. 
Uh, Oscar De La Hoya said on the record to media around there, I don't know if he said this on the DAZN broadcast, I didn't hear it if he said it on the DAZN broadcast, that they are wanting to talk to Terrence Crawford for a fight with Golden Boy on DAZN to happen maybe as soon as this spring. That's the phrase he used, this spring, Terrence Crawford. So Rocha would seem to be a candidate. I'm not well, saying he's a likely candidate, but he no, would seem to be a candidate. Well, you missed the Bernard Hopkins interview where Bernard Hopkins said he is a candidate. He is a candidate. That was on the the DAZN broadcast. That was on the DAZN broadcast. He's a candidate. That doesn't mean it's going to happen. So what is Bernard? Hold on. The way Bernard said it was that's what they're going to propose to Crawford. They're not just proposing one fight. They're proposing a series of fights. Oscar posted a photo of uh, him with uh, (laughs) Terrence Crawford on social media. They met with, you know, Terrence is a free agent. He knows the Crawford uh, Spence fight's not happening anytime in the immediate future. He went out and he met with Oscar and the team at Golden Boy. Uh, like he should take meetings with the different promoters to see what they have to offer. And uh, they, they could use a marquee fighter. Obviously they don't have a big name to offer him, but like you said, Rocha is highly ranked. I don't see how getting a knockout against Georgia. C puts you in position to be in a world championship fight, but if it's the start of a series of fights and Crawford's going to get more active and he's willing to fight, uh, you know, on these types of events where he's not going to necessarily be making $10 million kind of money, then he, of course you listen. So, I don't really have any desire or too much interest in seeing Crawford versus Rocha. I do have an interest in seeing Terrence Crawford back in the ring on a more regular basis rather than once a year. And uh, I'm glad that they're talking with each other. Hopefully they can work something out. I think that would be, it would probably be good for both sides because Golden Boy is in, in need of another marquee fighter to add to their, you know, they've got some quality guys, whether it's Garcia, Virgil Ortiz, Zerto Ramirez coming back. Uh, you know, they've got other fighters that they work with. Uh, Jojo Diaz, whoever you want to name that's on their roster. Obviously, Ryan is their number one guy at the moment. But Terrence Crawford would automatically go to the top of that food chain. And the zone, frankly, could use a little star power itself. So I could see them working something out. Uh, if it's Rocha, you know, I'm not sure Rocha beats David Avedesian. I mean, maybe he does. That was Terrence Crawford's most recent opponent. But in the end, he needs a promoter. He needs a broadcaster. Golden Boy needs a marquee fighter. It seems like it could work. I hope that they can get something done. That would be nice to see. Um, but if it's only about a Rocha fight, I don't need to see that necessarily. Uh, Virgil Ortiz would be the more entertaining fight. But again, he's tied up at the moment because that that uh, fight being back on with Stan Ionis is not until April. So theoretically, <clears throat> you would be looking at later in the summer before Ortiz would be ready to fight Crawford. Let's well, see if also, Oscar is, Oscar's trying to talk about how the fact that they're able to do this deal, apparently, again, not signed yet, but it feels like it's going to get there. By doing the deal for Ryan Garcia and Javante Davis with PBC, he seems to believe, perhaps overly optimistically, that that will help lead to do uh, business with PBC on a more regular basis where they can uh, match their fighters if it makes sense. And so if he's the promoter of Terrence Crawford, it would maybe help pave the way uh, to reigniting the conversations for an Errol Spence fight, which is what the... uh, the fight that everybody would like to see. So you never know, but you know, listen, we talk about it all the time, TJ, show me the, the, the press release, the signed agreement, the press conference, the, you know, social media posts, whatever you go by. But when it's all, when, it, when it's done, it's done. And right now it's right now, it's a lot of talk. Uh, we'll see if it actually happens. It, uh, is, interesting. As as, it, it is, is interesting, interesting that Crawford was there. And they yeah. are having talks, and maybe something will happen. All right, give me something real quick on Schofield and the co-feature, the lightweight, because you you have been interested in him. You've been tipping us off on on our coverage on the Big Fight Weekend podcast feed. Uh, he got a 10-round decision, basically won every round of the fight. What did you see, and what about his future? Well, he didn't basically win every round. It was a 189 across-the-board shutout. He scored a knockdown uh, in round two. Uh, look, Schofield is a 20-year-old kid. He's now 13-0. He, uh, he looked good. He, he, and what I what I thought about that fight was his opponent Alberto Mercado, uh, you know, he'd be the definition of maybe a journeyman, seventeen four and one, you know, solid pro, not a world beater, you know, but got some ability. Um, he pushed him a bit, and that's what you want to see. You want to see if you're going to get a shutout. Yes, it was a shutout on the scorecards, but round around, Mercado did compete a bit. So he he made Schofield do a few things. He probably taught him a few things, or that he can file away in his. Uh, memory banks and as you go along as a professional fights like this a 10 round decision against a, a, a solid pro is the foundation of what you need if you're going to get to the next level and so he put those good quality 10 rounds in the bank came out with a big win got a knockdown did everything other than get the knockout 
I thought it was the perfect kind of fight. It's only his second fight since he signed with Golden Boy. He didn't really get much out of the first one, which was a KO in the first round. Uh, so to come on a show like this, get a little national exposure uh, as the co-feature, uh, go in with a with a, a solid opponent, uh, do a good job, win every round. You know, to me, the sky's the limit for the kid. He's, he's got an entertaining style. Uh, seems like he's got a good personality. Um, and we'll see how he develops. But, you know, I'm again, he's a prospect. So it means he, could he become a star? Maybe. Could he flame out and not turn out to be anything impressive? Also a possibility. But at the moment, it looks good. I'm interested to keep watching him uh, on the on the upward trajectory if he can continue to develop. Uh, and so, you know, good for him. He should wake up today, pleased with his performance, and uh, and move on to the next one. It's not going to be a long period of time to, to get him to a bigger fight, I don't think. He seems to be the kind of fighter that may be able to move a little more quickly. I found it amusing that on social media, uh, he was having a back and forth with uh, uh, Keyshawn Davis, who was another very talented, mm-hmm. lightweight prospect, undefeated uh, silver medal winner in the Olympics, who was my 2022 prospect of the year, as well as some other folks that do such things. Uh, that's not going to happen anytime soon, obviously. But you know what? If they lay the foundation now, maybe in uh, 20 years, we'll see it. All right, good stuff in the recap. On anything else there from that DAZN Golden Boy show, or do you want to get yeah, nostalgic you know with me for a few minutes? There's another fighter that Golden Boy has, a guy named Oscar Colazzo, who's a strawweight, so he's obviously in the smallest weight class on boxing. They don't get a lot of attention or a lot of love. He's now 6-0 and with four knockouts, but uh, fighters sometimes in those little weight classes can move a little bit quicker. Uh, anyway, he was in a WBA, or I'm sorry, take that back, a WBO uh, elimination fight against uh, a one-loss fighter named Yadel Reyes, and uh, let me tell you, Oscar Colazzo may be small of stature in terms of being uh, only a five foot one fighter with uh, 105 pounds maximum weight for the fights. But he turned the lights out on Yodel Reyes with a big knockout. And uh, he's interesting to watch. He's exciting. And now he's uh, calling out uh, Jerusalem, who's the WBO uh, champion in that, Melvin Jerusalem. And uh, maybe we'll see that fight. Again, it's straw weights. Not a lot of people get too pumped up about it. But he's a talented kid and he made a good. Uh, he had a good performance, and he's exciting to watch. And you don't see a lot of straw weights with with a ton of knockouts like that. Uh, you got to maybe go back to the days of Ricardo Lopez, who knocked everybody out when he was a strawweight champion, one of my favorite fighters of all time. But uh, that was one of the other fights on that on that uh, broadcast as they did the Eliminator. And then the other one was the you know the continuing comeback of uh, Bektimir uh, Melikuziev, who had been starched in a huge upset by the journeyman that we spoke about, and I say journeyman in a very positive way, uh, when he fought Gabriel Rosado in 2021 and was a big favorite and got drilled in the third round. So he's been trying to make the comeback, and ever since then, this was now his fourth victory in a row. He uh, erased Ulysses Sierra in the uh, third round and uh, will continue his development. So I thought overall, yeah, you got a little bit of everything. got a, a great, great knockout in the main event and a fun, exciting fight. He got a great performance from Colazzo. In a, an important fight for his career as far as being an elimination fight. Saw the continued evolution of a, of a, of a top-notch blue-chip prospect in Schofield and, uh, and the continuing comeback uh, to see if he can get back to uh, being uh, you know in position to fight a bigger name uh, the way that Bechtemir did in his uh, knockout victory. So, again, I thought all in all, particularly for a show that didn't have a lot of star power, that was done kind of at the last minute, um, I got my time's worth. And one it thing was I solid. was very happy about, yeah, it was, it was solid. What was I was solid. happy about, they opened up a new venue, YouTube Theater, so that's cool. There's another boxing venue on the map now. And also, it it was on uh, right after the, you know, it was about a, about a 35, 45 minutes between the time that they went off the air from the uh, Better Beav show to the time that they got rolling on the DAZN Golden Boy show. So they didn't conflict. You, you finish up watching your Better Beav fight. You maybe go take a leak, maybe get a little something to drink, maybe a little snack, come back and watch uh, the rest of the fight. So I watched boxing uh, on Saturday, TJ, from at starting at 2.30 in the afternoon Eastern time for the start of the stream of the Better BF card all the way through to when the, the Zone Golden Boys show went off about 11.30. So it was a long day, but a good day of boxing. Better Except- you than me. Better Except you, for most of the undercard of the... There you go. The, better you than me than being there on the Better BF Smith undercard for all of that garbage. All right, let's finish up with some nostalgia, shall we, before we are gone. Sunday, very interesting. And we actually did write about this in the history recap mode uh, previously on BigFightWeekend.com. We'll bring that back out Sunday. And I know we're releasing the podcast uh, Sunday night into Monday. Uh, is the 29th anniversary, correct, of Frankie the Surgeon Randall. Hello, Morristown, Tennessee's Frankie Randall, the late Frankie Randall, uh, pinning the first ever loss on Julio Cesar Chavez. 
uh, senior, uh, because now we have junior. If, uh, Rayfield, I would say to you, uh, I would I would venture to say you could win money from almost anybody off who was the first ever fighter to beat Chavez. Most people would not come up with the name Frankie the Surgeon Randall. They would probably say Oscar De La Hoya, and I realize we're talking about 30 years ago in nostalgia, but you would maybe come up with Oscar De La Hoya. You would come up with Pernell Whitaker. They had the controversial draw uh, in 1993 right before this fight. I don't know who comes up with anymore Frankie the Surgeon Randall, but this was a big deal Back in the early mid-90s, Chavez had amassed an 89-win, no-losses, one-draw record. 90 fights without a loss, kids. You were talking about a guy earlier in this podcast losing 96 or 97 times. How about 90 fights without losing one of them? That's incredible. And Frankie Randall beat him. Give me some more nostalgia, including you got some uh, cool memorabilia you were showing off as well. Yeah, well, I mean, you mentioned about the great record, 89-0-1, the one the draw, which was a few fights prior to that, three fights prior, that was the controversial draw against uh, Pernell Whitaker. So it should have been, you know, 89 and one, but officially it was 89, 0 and one in any event. And by the way, by the way, Whitaker's teammate, Meldrick Taylor had him beat until the dramatic TKO in the final seconds of their 1990 fight uh, that could have, should have, would have been another loss. But still, on the official well, record, he was 89-0-1. So go ahead. But that one counts because he stopped him. I mean, whether there was two There's seconds There's controversy left. to this day that Richard Steele should, should not have been waving his arms with two seconds left when Chavez was not going to have a chance to come hit him again. You really, you really want to go there? I'm just saying to you, there's controversy over a TKO, and they have now since changed the rule, by the way, in a lot of areas, that there can't be a TKO in the final five seconds after a knockdown for that very. But anyway, anyway, he, uh, the ledger said 89 0 1, and Frankie Randall beat him. That's the point. Here's the thing. Okay. In, the, in those days, we're talking about 1994. In 1994, in those early days in the 90s, Don King was still one of the top promoters in boxing. It was basically Don King and, and, and top rank in the United States, main events also with a tremendous amount of top talent. But Don King was putting on a huge amount of big-time pay-per-view cards with Chavez, a lot of them. Remember he had Tyson? He had Tyson. They had left HBO. He had made a big business of Tyson pay-per-views and also of uh, Chavez pay-per-views, and they did a tremendous amount of business. And, and back then, fans got their money's worth. Fans got deep undercards. Fans got a tremendous amount of, of uh, bang for their buck. I mean, you look at some of the undercards that Don King put on in those days, and you will see fights where you couldn't believe. I mean, the undercard fight for the co-feature fight on Chavez versus Frankie Randall was, oh, I don't know, Felix Trinidad defending the <laughs> welterweight title against Hector Camacho. Camacho had two <laughs> losses at that time. Tito was an undefeated 22-0. and 0, Wait, the best wait let's help the Gen Zers. Let's help the millennials out. There used to be fight cards where there were three or four notable names on the same fight card defending world titles, and we didn't space them out over three months and three separate pay-per-views. What my man is saying is absolutely yes, that used to happen. Continue. They were bringing on that undercard that wasn't even necessarily part of the broadcast on the Chavez-Randall card. Meldrick Taylor was with King. They were building back to a rematch with Chavez. Tommy Hearns was on that undercard. Yeah, yeah. A, a Tim Austin was a young prospect who went on to become a top, top bantamweight champion. Uh, Christy Martin was at, on that undercard as a younger fighter. Uh, Karan Millette, who became a junior welterweight champion, was like 7-0 on that undercard. So these cards were deep, deep, deep. And by the way, I forgot to mention, you had a, a super welterweight championship fight between Simon Brown and, uh, and, and Troy Water. So, I mean, Don loaded up these shows. But the main event with Chavez... And Randall was like a big deal because Chavez was a superstar. He was making his 13th defense. He'd held the WBC 140-pound title for like five years. Remember, when he got the, the BS draw with uh, Pernell Whitaker, Chavez had gone up to welterweight uh, to fight for uh, Pernell's title. They fought at a catchweight. I want to say it was like 144 or 145. But he was back now at junior welterweight defending his title. He was like a 15-to-1 favorite according to the sports book and of consequence also, by the way, now, if you say to people in today's boxing, they're going to have this big fight at the MGM grand garden arena. Everybody's like, yeah, okay. That's like a big deal. The MGM grand is like, you know, uh, one of the most iconic venues for mm -hmm. boxing in the history of the sport. Uh, and I have covered countless fights there, you know, I've been there a million times for fights, but in 1994, Chavez, Frankie Randall holds the distinction of being the first ever, boxing event sports event of any kind 
to take place at the MGM Grand, which was a new building, had not you know opened not that long before they had uh, put this fight on. And when they opened it, they intended for boxing to be on their menu of entertainment offerings. So it was a historic fight in the sense that it's the first time this great casino at the time, the biggest casino in the world, 5,000 hotel rooms, et cetera, was uh, putting on a boxing event. They had one of the greatest stars of their time in Chavez in a big time world championship title defense on the main event with a bunch of top names sprinkled on the undercard. And what happens? You not only have the big superstar get beat, but suffer the first knockdown of his career. Look, he'd been through 90 professional fights had never been off his feet. And Frankie Randall with a right hand dropped him on the seat of his pants in the middle of, uh, I believe it was the, uh, like the ninth round or the 10th round. Um, and, uh, uh, just a remarkable scene, 11th round, actually. And he ended up losing a decision mainly in what happened. The knockdown obviously sealed it. But Richard Steele, the referee, who people remember as the referee from the fight you referenced with the first matchup with Meldrick Taylor, he uh, rightfully so, by the way, this should not be a controversy. He docked two points from Chavez for low blows. And so that, combined with the knockdown, cost him uh, a split decision to Frankie Randall, who achieved his greatest moment of glory. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, other than that, Frankie was, you know, I guess kind of a maybe a little better than a journeyman type of guy. But he beat Chavez, and no one can ever take that away from him. He ended up losing controversially in a rematch on a technical decision. Then when he was way, way past his best days and should have been retired, he fought Chavez a third time in Mexico and got beat in that fight. You know, died a couple years ago, unfortunately, from, uh, you know, what they call pugilistic dementia. He was really in bad shape after a boxing right. career. That went on for way, 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 way too long. But on one night, January 20, 29th, 1994, he was the king of the world. He dethroned the undefeated great Julio Cesar Chavez, and it should not be forgotten. And again, he was immensely popular. I'm from the state of Tennessee, as you know. You think I'm from the state of confusion, but I'm from the state of Tennessee. I live in the state of Florida. And Frankie Randall in East Tennessee was a huge deal uh, locally, regionally, source of pride. Remember Big John Tate, who we've talked about on this podcast, was Knoxville, Tennessee, in East Tennessee. Frankie Randall, not far from there, Morristown, Tennessee. Uh, and later, uh, obviously, later in his career and later in his life, uh, was back in a nursing home in Morristown, Tennessee, where he passed away in December of 2020, uh, just over two years ago. Uh, but uh, he, he later captured another world title after he yeah. lost to Chavez. So... So the, the, Randall, the, yeah, note, noteworthy. The way that that went was after that loss, the, the, well, he, he beat Chavez with the, the big, huge victory. They had an immediate rematch. You know, a few months later, he lost uh, a very controversial on a technical decision. If people go back and uh, take a look at that, that was where they implemented that wacky WBC rule where if there's an accidental headbutt, they deduct a point from the fighter that is not cut. That was hugely controversial, and that's what happened in that particular fight. He lost by an eighth-round technical decision you know, where it was like they were trying to do anything they could to get Chavez the title back <laughs> in any event in his next fight after that, because he was still with Don King, who had a variety of different champions. That was a WBC title fight where he lost to Chavez in the rematch. They matched him up with uh, Juan Martin Koji for the WBA title. He won that fight later in 94. I mean, talk about a, a up and down. You go in the beginning of 94, you beat Chavez, you win the WBC title and you hand the dude his first loss. You have a terrible situation in the rematch where you lose on a controversy yep. in may of that year and then you come back in september of that year you beat koji for the title and then he continued to defend the title he even fought a fourth time in 94 uh and then ended up continuing to defend it and then he had a rematch with koji in 96 he lost that fight and then um had a third fight with koji where he won and won a title yet again and then at that point he was like kind of beyond his prime at that point he went over to France. He lost the title to Khalid Rahalu. These were all fights by the, that were on mostly on Showtime or on Showtime pay-per-view cards. And from the time he lost to Rahalu in 97, it was a downward spiral. He he, uh, he just was a consistent loser, you know, and he fought. He, he became a name for up-and-coming guys. Like, he was an opponent for a young Antonio Margarito, uh, for, you know, people along those lines. And it just he should have retired way before. But as I said before, this is the uh, 29th anniversary of one of the biggest wins of the 90s from any fighter it's right I mean, up there with uh you it's not the same because it wasn't a knockout right and it wasn't uh that uh internationally renowned and such a huge deal in the heavyweight championship but i would dare say that if you take away buster douglas's victory against uh mike tyson it's maybe one of the top sort of those types of upset victories of that decade yes and and 
uh, I was going right there. What that, that's the, with that? That's the all timer on who put the first loss on one of the all time greats. That one comes to mind immediately uh, with Buster Douglas. Again, you could get a lot of people on. It's not Pernell Whitaker. It's not Oscar De La Hoya. Some of the other contemporaries that that Chavez fought uh, that beat Chavez first. Uh, Frankie Randall did that. Great nostalgia. I always found it amazing, TJ, that the biggest upset of the '90s and uh, you know happened in like two months it the decade's yes. 10 years long the, it was february we're of 90, coming right? up on the 33rd right. anniversary of it february the 11th in japan february the 10th in the united states and by That's the way coming like, up weeks, in like 10 days like like uh like a month later three weeks later four weeks later whatever it was after douglas upset tyson was that fight between meldrick and chavez the first fight they had that's correct so, but anyway that was uh you know i love the nostalgia and i was looking we at that it. and i was Posting uh, the reason that that it came to me was because I looked up on my list of the old Showtime and HBO fights. I have the program from uh, that Frankie Randall fight against Julio Cesar Chavez, and uh, and uh, of course I had to take a picture of it and and uh, post it up on my uh, on my Substack in my Show and Tell section. And uh, you know Don always used to go. Don King always used to come up with the great names for the uh, for the, the fights. And and I know you like, you get a kick out of those. What so was for those Frankie from? Randall and Chavez, they called it the super grand slam of boxing. The super with grand the, slam, the super grand slam, as opposed to just a regular Not just grand, a grand slam. slam, the super grand and, slam. And with all those undercard fights, you maybe could have called that. So yeah. did that, does that imply that Don subsequently had a show that was the super duper grand slam? I asked rhetorically, you don't have to answer. Does that, <laughs> I mean, just think about it only in America. Uh, I would just say, let's let this be a lesson to our younger listeners that when they accept some of the shit that we see on pay-per-view events <laughs> in today's current day, even if you got an excellent main event, but you see the absolute shit that's on the undercard, do yourself a favor and, and hit up your, your, uh, your nearby YouTube browser and go look up some of the old fights that Don King used to put on pay-per-view or and other promoters also back in the nineties, where these cars were absolutely loaded. And if you can understood. have Hector Camacho against Tito Trinidad on an undercard, you know that, you know, you could say a lot of nasty things about Don King, but the fact they didn't give you value for your money on his pay-per-views is not one of them. And and they were trying to get you to buy the pay-per-view, entice you into buying it, and that's the whole point. Listen, great job with all of this. Let's have a good week. We've got an Emmanuel Navarrete uh, world title fight coming Friday that we're going to get into and preview. We've got a ladies' double header championship fight with Amanda Serrano and Alicia Baumgartner fighting in separate world title fights. Uh, for their card coming this weekend in New York. We're going to get into all of that as the week goes on. It'll be February when we talk again, my friend. A great job on the Fight Freaks Unite recap, though, here. Anything else in closing? Are we good and are we done? Well, as we tape this, it's Sunday afternoon, so as soon as we uh, finish up here, I'm going to sit down for a bit and watch some NFL football conference championship action. We're going to see the uh, the two teams that emerge to play in the Super Bowl for sure uh, for that. All right, so we're anxious to see what happens with that. Uh, again, good stuff on the fights. Dan Rayfield, thank you. We'll talk to you later in a week. All right, TJ, have a good weekend. Rest of the weekend. There is Dan Rayfield. I'm merely TJ Reeves. Follow or subscribe to the Big Fight Weekend podcast feed. We come off the weekend with the Fight Freaks Unite recap podcast that you've been hearing here. Rate us and review us under Apple Podcasts. A couple of more days to do so. As of Tuesday, it will be closed for the little January bribery contest for those cool Takate uh, commemorative cups from the different fights in the, in the 90s, the 2000s, whenever Dan's got them from, that he was covering, that he was attending. Uh, he's going to give a couple of them away. If you rate us and review us and take that screenshot and make sure you tag us where we can see it, we're going to draw somebody at random here in a couple of days. Stand by for that. For now, we're good. For Dan Rayfield, I'm TJ Reeves for the Fight Freaks Unite recap. <laughs>